You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have Stephanie Rosenfield. And Stephanie is a life coach from what I understand. And I'm excited to learn more about what that all means and how she helps uh, parents. So thank you, Stephanie, for making the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Alrighty. So as I always like to start, I like to have my guest define what the art of parenting means to them. I love this question. I really think that the art of parenting to me means that recognizing that there's really no right way to parent, no instant solution or foolproof method, that it really comes from knowing who I am and who my family is and who my kids are and what our values are and taking action from there. Because I think of it as like art is like finessing something. So I feel like I'm constantly finessing the recognizing who I am and taking action from there as a mom. Beautiful. And and yes, it is it is an ongoing <laughs> finessing uh, journey for sure. Um, and, and Stephanie, I would love if we could, uh, if you would share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah. So I started my career as a pediatric speech therapist. So I had a background in early childhood development. And while I was working as a speech therapist, I really supported pediatric patients and I supported them at home with their families and at schools. And what I started to recognize is that while these kids really were receiving a lot of support that they needed, that there was an even bigger gap that wasn't being met, which was supporting parents and more specifically moms who were feeling overwhelmed and stressed out and isolated. So after becoming a mom myself, I have two boys who are six and three, I realized a really big contributor to the overwhelm was this vast amount of information that was being thrown at parents and the constant comparison that contributed to moms feeling isolated, stressed, and just not good enough. And so when I had my first son, who's now six, I thought I would be great, right? I had a background in early childhood development and I worked with little kids. So it seemed like that it's something that would come really naturally to me. And after a few months, things like it looked great from the outside. You probably saw pictures of me on Instagram or on social media and thought, wow, you know, she's, she's doing awesome. But the truth is, is that I was really feeling anxious and stressed and like I was failing. And 
I was secretly jealous of my friends who didn't have kids and it just felt like I was doing something wrong. So around the time that my son was 18 months, he had this toy truck, right? We were sitting on the floor playing and he had this toy truck that he was growing increasingly frustrated over. And I was trying to help him out using all my strategies and he just got more and more frustrated, which really led to me feeling like angry. And I didn't know why I was feeling that way. And I remember I just lost it. I screamed and I felt so terrible afterwards. And I remember sitting in the bathroom with like my head in my hands thinking that something needed to change, right? That I needed to shift how I was feeling and how I was reacting. And I thought that things would just get better, right? That I had to just figure it out, that good moms, you know, just power through. But every night I was on my phone, like scrolling through Instagram, and I'd feel even worse about myself because it seemed like everyone else had it figured out but me. And there was this time that my son, he was in a toddler program. He was two, two and a half years old. And my, my son had always had this propensity for jumping and running and crashing. And these wonderful teachers sat me and my husband down, and they told us that he was having difficulty in the classroom sitting for, you know, as a toddler, not expected to sit that long, but that he was climbing on the furniture. And again, it was just this other moment in time where I was like, wow, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with him? And the only advice that was available at that time was all this information and strategies that really didn't work for me and my family and made me feel worse. So I knew for myself that something needed to change and that I had to figure out this missing link. I had the child development background, but I didn't have the tools to really manage my emotions and responses in stressful situations. And from there, that's where I found coaching. And so it's been a six-year journey for me. I went through a year-long coaching certification program and then completed a 10-month nervous system practitioner training. So I combined my pediatric background with mindset tools and nervous system tools to help moms become calmer and more confident in their motherhood. And I decided that's where I really want to spend my time, supporting moms so they can help support their kids. And boy, do they need support. So you <laughs> you chose a, a wonderful mission because it's true. And it's interesting how you say that you had kind of the child development piece figured out and that you realized that also mothers and, and parents need, need more support. And because it, it, it's very parallel to my story, I was a Montessori teacher. So working with two and a half year olds to six year olds and, and the children are wonderful. Like they, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we set up the environment and all this, but it was the parents that had so much angst and questions and all that. And that's why I changed my focus to uh, helping, you know, the parents better understand their children. So beautiful, beautiful work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm I'm really intrigued about this nervous system training that you did and and how that can help uh, maybe, you know, if there's some listeners that are feeling stress or anxious about uh, motherhood, parenthood, um, and such, what, what does that look like in your in your coaching when you help uh, moms kind of find their calm? Yeah. So so many of us, I think approach some of these things from a mindset experience. And the first indication that something is happening is really your body, right? So so many of us may go into motherhood expecting joy and love and fun. And when we're presented with the other side of the coin, the anger, the frustration, and the stress, 
that it can be unnerving to us because so many of us haven't learned how can I experience these very normal emotions, right? These, these anger, frustration, and stress in a, in a way that isn't exacerbating them, if that makes sense. So we have, right, the societal expectations of they're only this young once, the social media expectations when we see all these happy, smiling moms and families, we get this vision that it's supposed to be constant joy in our lives, which can feel super isolating because we think there's something wrong with us when we're presented with a situation that anger, sadness, and stress arise, all all very normal emotions. Easy way to think about how to incorporate the nervous system is my body is the first indication that something is going to happen. So if there is this tightness in my chest, there is this clenching of my jaw, there are these racing thoughts, that is an indication, the yellow blinking light that I need to check in with myself and diffuse, as I would like to say. And I don't mean become calm, (laughs) but how can I gain control? Well, it it sounds like it's it's just being aware that something is maybe about to happen or a feeling of something that is just not right. Is that is that what you're... Yeah, yeah. So for example, I had a client, um, let's call her Ava, and she relayed a story to me where she was feeling so angry and frustrated with her daughter. Um, it was time to get into the car and go to dance, and her daughter, who usually loves to go to dance, was refusing to go. And she wanted her to honor her commitment. She was starting to check the time and realize that it was getting close to the start of the class. And so she could recognize, after we spoke, I asked her what was happening. And she's looking back, recognized that her heart was starting to race, her chest was clenching, her mind was racing. And that that for her was the indication that after reflecting on it, that she was going to lose it. And afterwards, you could hear the guilt and the fr- and the upset that she felt as she was talking to me, right? She felt really terrible about her reaction. So allowing for the awareness and the normalization of what she was feeling in the heated moment was so powerful because it it gives her choice. So the next week when something like that happened, she was able to recognize in the moment, I am feeling frustrated here. Nothing has gone wrong. I will be able to figure this out. Right, right. So it's, it's knowing what like... I guess that the, the body gives us the message of what is going on, or or maybe not exactly what is going on, but that something is is going on, and that if we're aware of it, we can then maybe use some tools to come back to calmness. Yeah, for example, and again, every human being is so different. So the different strategies that may work for one mom may not work for the other. But for example, let's these little things maybe happen throughout your day where maybe someone cut you off or you received that email from your boss that your daughter refusing to go to a class may be the tipping point, right? It may be that third or fourth thing that day that, that leads you to the reaction. But being in touch or mindful of when that person cut you off, the racing in your chest, right? Or when you get that email, it allows you to be like, to recognize what do I need right now to take care of myself in this moment? And something such as listening to jazz music, closing your eyes for five minutes in a dark room, or if you're feeling like you have that extra buzzy energy, clenching and unclenching your fists, doing wall push-ups. So figuring out what what do I need right now to bring myself back 
if you can imagine like a chart where the graph, the the higher part is this buzzy, you can't see me, but I'm like using, moving my hand up and down this buzzy high stress situation where your thoughts are racing and your me versus them mentality and you're, you can't feel like you can't slow down. And this underneath that chart, the middle area being in control of, of your emotions and reactions in the face of a stressful situation, those types of things, the glancing outside a window and looking at the trees, those types of things can bring you back down to this middle area where you can decide how do I want to react and respond here. Right, right. And, and the only thing I'm hearing, you know, that that I mean, first of all, that question of what do I need right now? And, and I love that you say that because I know I'm often reminding the families that I work with that it's important to ask that of ourselves several times a day, right? We we tend to be the caregivers for for our children, and we're constantly uh, at their you know attentive to their needs, but not necessarily our own. So first, I I, I really appreciate that. But some of the like the strategies you you talked about, you know, being in a dark room for five minutes sounds wonderful, but you have maybe a toddler that's right there with you uh, that is maybe having a meltdown and such. So are there maybe strategies that we can share that you could share that would be more in the heat of the moment of how we can take that awareness of something's going on, I'm about to lose it. Um, how do I help myself regain that calm? I love that. That's such a great question. So I have a framework that I call the buckets of emotional management. And when I talk about emo- emotional management, I mean being in control of yourself and how you respond, right? Not necessarily being calm. And the first bucket is what I call emotional diffusion, which is being in the face of a triggering situation and being able to respond in the way that you want right? As humans, we play off of each other. The moment you feel dysregulated, meaning you're not able to be in control of your reactions and emotions, and you respond to your child in that way, you'll often see their reactions increase. So I have, uh, I guess I would call it like a a four-step process of emotional diffusion. And the first step is when you're in the face of the toddler tantrum, the kid refusing to leave is, I call it the freeze, the Ferris Bueller freeze. Have you ever seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yes. Right. So he, you know, those moments where he talks to the camera and everything around him freezes. Yes. Yes. So I call it the Ferris Bueller freeze because it's essentially whatever is happening, the toddler doing their thing, your whatever is happening is that you create that Ferris Bueller freeze where you just stop. Everything around you may still happen, but you freeze. And the next thing that you do is, is feel, you name that feeling. I, whether it be out, even out loud or in your mind, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling frustrated right now. So you freeze and then you feel. Okay. And the third step is essentially is shifting the internal story. I can cope with this. This feels frustrating, but I will get through it. This is normal. Because a lot of times our story exacerbates what's happening. This is not normal. There's something wrong with them. I have no control here. Right. Or, or even that self-talk, I'm, I'm an awful mom because, yes. you know, I can't control my child or, or whatever. Like the, the negative self-talk can be pretty right. <laughs> loud sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So say something nice to yourself. So many other moms are going through the same thing. 
I will, I will talk to them about this when everyone is calmed down type of thing. And then once you change the internal story, then you can decide what do I need right now, right? Because once you name the feeling, shift the story already, the heat is taken off a little bit so you can decide, okay, my toddler is sitting here. We're having, I can't leave the room, but I can take five, I can put my hand on my chest and take five deep breaths, or I can put on some music for all of us. If my child is a little bit older, I can say, mommy just needs a moment to calm my body. I'm going to leave the room for a minute and come back. Or if there's another human there, you tag out for a moment. I just need a second, right? So you can decide what do I need right now? Right, right. And that is that is so important um, to be able to to step out. And I, and I really like what you were saying also about just, you know, when you, you freeze, you feel, and then have some go-to mantras that you know are true to you. Yes. Right? Of of I like one time I heard somebody say this is not an emergency. Yes. You know, and that makes so much sense is because we tend to be so reactive and we're at reacting like it is an emergency, but it's not an emergency. My daughter just doesn't want to go to dance today. It's, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's, it, it happens. Like some days I don't want to go work out and it's okay. <laughs> yes, it's so true. I had a client who has three kids and there was, she walked into a bedroom and a glitter bomb, someone had thrown a glitter bomb and glitter is like a parent's worst, <laughs> right? Worst nightmare. And in that moment, the three kids were denying who did it. And she started to feel, so right. Her mind was, my kids are liars. They're never going to learn responsibility. It, she was creating this emergency and this situation that led her to feel so angry and react. So, and, and if you think about it, when in that moment, when you're yell and react, it leads to someone being on the de- defense or feeling scared. If you think about a boss coming into you and let's say you made a mistake or did something on a presentation and they come in angry off something you did at work, you're going to get on the defense also. So the reason that we work to emotionally diffuse is so we can decide on purpose how I want to respond. So the next time something happened with the kids, she was able to go through that process, the freeze, the feel, diffuse, and decide, and shift how she responded, which meant that she was going to address it later, you know, an hour. It doesn't mean she wasn't ever going to talk to them about it, but later after everyone had sort of moved through it and calmed down a little bit. Right, right. And it's interesting, because it reminds me a lot, and, and you probably know this, um, Dan Siegel's uh, um, model of the, the brain in the palm of the hand, when we when we flip our lids, do you know this? Yes, the flip lid. Yes, right. And to me, that is just so powerful when we know about you know, like you say that the the way that our body reacts or our emotions react, like when we know that our lid is flipped, that we are dysregulated, there is no way that we can help a child regulate, right? Or if a child is dysregulated, it's going to affect us. So to take a pause, like I really like this idea of just coming back to it later, when we've had time to breathe and go drink a glass of water or whatever, um, so that we can manage our own emotions a lot better. Yeah. And I think that it's really important. It's a really nice thing for a parent to remember in a moment. I will come back to this. This doesn't need to be addressed right now. The 
lesson that I want to teach isn't going to be learned right now based on, right? Like you said about Dan Siegel, once their lid is flipped and they're dysregulated, their brain isn't available for learning or learning a lesson. Right. And, and so important to, to take that pause. And, and also like, how am I going to react? But what, what is it that I want my child to learn from this? Right? Yes. Exactly. So, so important. Um, beautiful. And so when you so so that was kind of this nervous system, then when you say that you you're a life coach, so what kind of situations maybe are you helping moms go through and and how does that process look like? Yeah, so I'm helping moms, I talk about my three buckets of emotional management. I'm helping moms be able to respond in ways that they want to in situations and helping them manage how they're feeling so that they can present and be the mom that they want to be. All of us went into motherhood wanting to experience joy and happiness and raise good humans, right? right? And I think that society makes that really difficult right now based on the expectations of moms and the lack of ability. I think that a lot of us didn't learn how how can I respond to my emotions in a way that isn't reacting or just ignoring them. And a big part of that which goes to the second bucket of my emotional management. The first one was emotional diffusion. The second one is what I call effective communication, different communication. Because once you have control over how you feel, the next step is to be able to communicate differently. And again, I no one really ever taught us how can I communicate effectively with another human? We're just repeating sort of what was modeled to us in our family and our upbringing. So when I talk about what I also what I help moms with, it's once they're able to diffuse their emotions, it's okay, how can I communicate differently so that the people around me listen, right? So that I'm connecting. And I can give you an example. I had a client who cooks dinner for her family. And every night she yells downstairs to the basement where her kids are playing, time for dinner, time for dinner. And the kids most often don't ignore her. Don't come upstairs. And she would get, again, frustrated. And I make dinner every night. No one appreciates me. And we talked about the different communication in the way of how would you want to be communicated with in a similar situation? And I use the example right of, of, let's say she was watching Netflix and her partner came over and said, I told you we have to go to my mother's house. Get your shoes on now. She, wait, what? <laughs> right? Like it's it's hard for a human to commu- concentrate on two things at once. So we talked about how she would want her partner to get her attention, make eye contact, speak kindly, facial expressions, all of those nonverbal cues. So the next night she went downstairs right? She made eye contact with her kids. She put her hand on their shoulder. She paused their play and she communicated with them differently, which led to them following through or listening more often, if that makes sense. Totally. Totally makes sense. Yes. Yes. And so the, the, the third bucket would be you, you had diffusion, effective communication. And yeah. Then- the third bucket is what I like to call self-confidence. And I, I don't mean it like a Cosmo article on how to be confident. <laughs> this sort of goes back to when I talked about the, the art of parenting, what my definition. I think that a lot of us, myself included, tend to look to other people or experts for what to do in our lives. We outsource decision-making. 
which can be so disempowering because you can find so much competing information, right? You can look on sleep training, for example, and you can find evidence for why from well-respected people why you should sleep train or evidence for why you shouldn't because experts say different things. So the self-confidence is really knowing that I'm making the best decisions for my family. I trust myself. And I have an example of a client who a couple weeks ago, her son was playing some soccer on his club soccer team with some other kids. And I guess the two kids didn't know that there was this like of Windex bottle. They thought there was water in there and they sprayed it at another kid and it went to his eyes. Oh no. Yeah. And so the mom of one of the kids who sprayed it responded in one way. And my client looked to that other mom and for a minute felt bad. You know, she's like, oh, should I be responding that way? And it took her some time, but through coaching, she recognized I know that how I'm talking to my kid about this and now how I'm working through it is what's best for us and our family. Yes. So yes. Yeah. So it's being able. The third bucket is really building that. I I can trust me and myself and my kids and my reactions and responses and decisions. I like that, and and it sounds to me also that it's really about trusting our inner compass, right? Our our intuition. I think that so often, and I've had this, you know, on the podcast even. Uh, experts say, I wish I had <laughs> listened to my own intuition more. So yeah. that, that like, we do have a very, very strong inner compass. And we really know our child and ourselves better than anybody else. So yeah, trust it. Exactly. Right. And just even being aware of the competing, the societal expectations or comparison and the information that's out there, because it, it comes back to you who you are, who your kids are, and what works best for you. Yes. And and do you also work with moms who maybe also have a career and want to, you know, be be a mom and a, a career woman? Like that that to me seems very hard to to manage. I do. I would say about 90% of my clients also have careers. Um and and at, at varying types of careers. Some are business owners, some, you know, work full time, some work part time. But yes, being able to figure out and manage how can I be the mom, the employee, the worker? How can I be who I want to be in all areas of my life? Right. Right. So these, these, the, the three emotional buckets work with, with our, our colleagues and our boss and, and our clients as well. Yeah. It's so interesting because I, I talk about using this as a parent, but what I often find with all of my clients is that they're able to use this. I have a client who owns um, a gymnastics studio, and she's able to use these in managing her employees. And mm-hmm. she's noticed higher employee retention, happier employees. Uh, and she she's just feels so much better at work and has noticed a shift in her business based on applying these concepts to to this area of her life. Which makes total sense. And, and it's interesting because I actually just uh, this past weekend, I attended a conference of positive discipline. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. Jane Nelson's work, Positive Discipline. But she has now uh, applied it to empowering people in the workplace. Oh, that's wonderful. 
you know, and it's it's using the same principles of, you know, positive discipline for parenting. And now it's, you know, being used for for our workplace uh, relationships and, and so forth. And it just it just makes total sense of, you know, it's it's about being aware of what we're feeling and and how we're going to communicate respectfully to those around us. Yes, exactly. I love that. Um, anything else that you want to share about the work that you do more in a kind of any maybe words of wisdom or advice to to those that are listening to us today that might be feeling I don't know, maybe resentful isn't quite the word, but but I know like social media for me really messes with our psyche. Uh, I'm about to to take a a month-long digital detox. I do this every year and I just look forward to it and love it. And it's it's very satisfying, but not everybody can do that. And I think that there is so much, you know, like you said at the beginning, this this comparison and feeling maybe judged or, you know, I'm not good enough and all this. So, so how do we deal with that? I love this question. And you are right. You can go on and you can see mom's creating curated play areas, these lunch boxes, these at home, right? You see everything and there it's more reason to feel I'm not doing this right. Cause what we're seeing are everyone's highlight reel, especially more of these um, content creators, cause they're actually getting paid, right? There, there, there is a reason for them to create it. It's their job. So, and there's so much research, right? There's so much more research now, even about you know, teenagers and young adults, their mental health, how it's affected by social media. So I think it's a pervasive, systematic issue right now. So the, the first recommendation that I would have is to follow things that actually bring you joy or inspiration and unfollow those that don't. Now, I do know that there is research, even if you follow just happy dog accounts that you may get off social media still feeling icky. (laughs) Um, So one of my recommendations is to go on and follow the things that bring you actual smiles. Another recommendation would be to limit the amount of time, sort of what you're doing. But again, a lot of these or things can be sort of mindless and we use it as a self-soothing mechanism. I'm tired. It's late. I'm just going to scroll for a little bit. So it's using the same concept of that freeze the feel, bringing awareness to, do I really want to be doing this right now? Or even having a list. I know a lot of my mom clients do this at nighttime, right? Either, even after the kids go to bed or while their kids are watching TV, they are feeling tired and they sort of want to check out but not really do anything that requires a lot of energy. So I recommend that clients have a list of three to four things just on a notes app of your phone or written out of what you want to be doing instead, whether it be reading, listening to music, listening to a podcast, I don't know, whatever it is that you would rather be doing. So something easy for you to refer to, to remind yourself, this is what I want actually want to be doing right now. And and that makes total sense. And and I kind of had a flash when you were saying that about making a list and and you know limiting the time. And I know this is hard. I I have a hard time with it too. So it's just I'm I'm kind of processing it uh, with you. 
But our phone does have ways that we can limit our screen time, right? So, yep. uh, you know, for example, for me, I have a, a sleep time. So 45 minutes before going to sleep, it kind of not shut down, but I have less access to things. And so just picking up my phone at that time is a reminder that huh, maybe not such a great idea. And then I was thinking like that list of those three things, maybe it could be the screensaver. That's a great idea too. I love that, right? So something that is there for you to remind you, here's what I would rather be doing right now. Right. Or I know for, for, for a while when I was trying to really break my habit of, of, you know, scrolling, um, I would, I had put on my screensaver, you know, I do not scroll mindlessly or I forget the exact words, but it kind of is just a gentle reminder of like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm not that person. (laughs) And, and it, and it helps us kind of move through it. But so, so, so that comparison you were saying, you know, to be mindful, to follow those that bring you joy and anything else about kind of that social media, you know, buffer that we need to have? Yeah. What I started to do is I started to delete Instagram on weekends. Instagram was really my scrolling thing. And I found that again, on the weekends and downtime, I was just picking it up and and I just deleted it to have that extra roadblock there to not have it. And I guess another thing, this sort of goes into what I work on with my clients too, the third bucket of confidence. When you can start to recognize my life is good enough, my kids are good enough, where I am, my house, my summer vacation, all of these things that we're looking at others and comparing, oh, look at this person where they are on the vacation. Oh, they're so happy. She, all these things, when you can start to build the other pile of evidence that I, my kids are good too, my life is good too, my house is good enough too, then you can start to combat some of that compare, comparing and that despairing about how others, you know, the, the lack that you have and the more that others gain. Yes, yes. And and be be in a state of gratitude for what you you have, right? Yeah. So so important. Well, thank you. Thank you for for all of this. I think it's it will be very helpful to all the parents listening and especially the moms listening uh, today. So thank you for that. And and as we wrap up, I always like to kind of have my guests maybe think back to you you mentioned that your boys are six and three. So if you were to go back maybe seven years when you were expecting your first son, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Oh, this is such a good question. I think that it would be going back to what I would sort of what I was just saying, who you are, speaking to myself, who who you are is good enough, who they are is good enough, I am good enough, that just the idea of it's all okay and it will all be okay. Hmm. I still hmm. give myself those exact words, right? I, I, I still tell myself that on a regular basis. But you weren't, you weren't uh, six years ago. No, I was not six years ago. Six years ago, I sort of what I was saying at the beginning. I, I, I was failing. I'm not good enough. Everyone is doing it better than me. Right, right. So yes, perfect. I am okay. I like that. Yes. Any, any parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today? 
No, I am just so thankful for being here. I would say if there's one takeaway or one tip, I, I have a podcast that's a five-minute tip, five-minute uh, shift for moms. So I'm big on short little tips. It's just creating the awareness in a moment on how you feel can lead to a diffusion. So creating that little space for that moment of awareness in a tense situation would be my quick takeaway. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been wonderful, Stephanie, to have you share your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.